Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online in the Calgary area and beyond, uh, as well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our regional campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also those of you who are meeting in the northwest part of Calgary in the Crowfoot Theatres. Why don't we just um, let them know that we're alive and that we're here and that we appreciate them. Can we just all join together and right on. In 2007, uh, Jamarcus Russell was the first overall pick of the NFL draft that year. He signed a huge contract with the Oakland Raiders, but he did not meet expectations. And the Raiders eventually released him for inconsistent play, but not before he netted $40 million in salary and bonuses. Now with that much money, we would assume that he was set for life. And yet, only a few years later, he was broke. In fact, I'm told that this is not uncommon. By the time NFL players have been retired for two years, 78% have gone bankrupt or are under financial stress because of joblessness or divorce. Now, now I share that with you because many people in our culture today, they lust after the lifestyle of the rich and famous, imagining what life would be like to, to be adored by the masses and, of course, to have more money than you could possibly use. For them, this is the good life, and many give their lives to living that kind of dream. And yet, as they do, their lives often follow the same trajectory or a similar trajectory of many celebrity athletes and actors who seem to have it all, and yet in reality are unhappy, are lonely, and in financial bondage. The Globe and Mail reports that one in four Canadians describe themselves as lonely. In the United States, two studies revealed that 40%, almost one in two people say that they are lonely. It's the great irony of our age. We have never been better connected through technology like texting and Twitter and Facebook. And yet we are more lonely than ever before because in our quest for the good life, the pace of our work life and the complexity of our lifestyle choices too often prevent us from being physically present with those that we care about the most. Furthermore, in their quest to live the good life, Many people are tempted to have it all now, to live beyond their means. And consequently, they find themselves enslaved to excessive debt and overwhelmed with anxiety over escalating interest charges and overdue bills. McLean's magazine recently noted that Canadians are deeper in debt than ever before. In addition to home mortgages and other loans, the average Canadian has a consumer debt load, usually reflected on their credit cards, of over $21,000. And folks, that's the average. Is it any wonder why so many people 
talk about being exhausted and overwhelmed and stressed out these days. It seems to me we're looking for the good life in all the wrong ways and in all the wrong places. Well, Jesus invites us to bring our burdens, including our financial challenges, to him. And in Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24, he provides us with three principles that are foundational, not only to living simply, but to finding financial freedom. And so I'm going to invite you again to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Look down at verse 19 and follow along as we continue to examine the principles that Jesus gives here. And we talked about two of those principles last time, and so I'm only going to review them briefly. The first principle for simplifying your finances is to put your trust in God and God alone. The key verse is verse 24. And so we're going to it first, and then we're kind of working back from there. In that verse, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus essentially says here that if we wish to be financially free and to live a life of simplicity, then we have to make a decision about who or what we're going to entrust our life to. He says you have to make a decision. You can put your trust in money or in the treasures of this world, or you can put your trust in God. You have to decide because God created us with the capacity for only one all-encompassing, all-embracing devotion or passion. You see, Jesus is not so much concerned with what we do with our money. His concern far more is what our money is doing to us. If your hope and trust is in money or in the treasures of this world, if it is the source of your significance, your sense of security, your status, and your definition of success, then it will become your master rather than your servant. It will control you rather than you controlling it. And it will put you on a path that leads to a life that's characterized by complexity, financial bondage, and much anxiety and worry. On the other hand, if you put your trust in God, then your heart will be attached to Him instead of the temporary treasures of this world. Your identity, your security, your status, your definition of success will actually come from him and what he says about these things. And consequently, you will see your money as your servant rather than your master and be able to hold it loosely because you see its temporary nature, which will put you on a path that will not only lead to ultimate financial freedom, but a life of simplicity. The second principle for simplifying your finances is to focus on the eternal things of God. Just back up two verses to verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Now, Jesus uses our physical vision here as a metaphor of spiritual vision. 
And he's saying one key to living simply and being financially free is intentionally seeing this life through the eyes of God. In other words, from God's perspective rather than from your limited earthly perspective. It is realizing that there are only two things that you can take to heaven with you. Only two. And that is your friendship with Jesus and those that you've introduced to Jesus. And consequently, you realize that everything in this life is temporary. That immortality cannot be found in the building of an empire or having your name etched on a building or a trophy or your picture on the cover of a national magazine because empires fall, buildings collapse, and the famous are eventually forgotten. Instead, you have a singular focus, learning to be content with what you have and joining King David, who in Psalm 103 said, my God satisfies. In him, I have all that I need. The first principle for simplifying your life and finances is to put your trust in God alone. The second is to see things from his perspective. The third principle is this, live simply. Look at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now notice Jesus isn't saying here that it's wrong to lay up treasures here on earth. He's not saying here that it's wrong to make money or to make investments in this world. No, he's simply warning us to not store them in the wrong place. In other words, to make short-sighted investments. Let's face it, we live in a material world that has many voices beckoning us to invest in any number of things. Marketing agencies all have a wonderful plan for our lives and for the resources that we have. And one of the great challenges that we have in life is to determine exactly what we're going to do with the time God has given to us, with the abilities, the talents, and the gifts God has given to us, and also with the money and the resources he's given to us. Well, here in verse 19, Jesus gives us his investment strategy, and he starts out by telling us what not to invest in. He says, stay out of earthly treasures. It's not wrong to have earthly treasures, as I've already mentioned, or to have some of our portfolio, as it were, in earthly treasures. In fact, the Bible teaches that God owns everything, and everything we have is a gift from him. He gives it freely to us, and he wants us to enjoy what he's given to us. In fact, he even calls us to put some of it away in savings for a rainy day. But we're not to worship them. We're not to base our identity on them or to hoard them. He says, do not store up treasures, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, don't stake your life on earthly treasures. 
because they're temporary. They don't last. They can rust. They can rot. They can get ripped off by thieves. And so he says, my counsel is that you invest minimally in earthly treasures. In other words, live more simply. Rather, he says in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, load up on heavenly treasures because only heavenly treasures are going to last for eternity. Any investment you make in heavenly treasures is absolutely risk-free. It is moth-proof, it is rust-proof, it is burglar-proof, it's fire-proof, it's flood-proof, you name it. He says you can't take earthly treasures with you, but you can send it on ahead. See, God gives us things for our enjoyment, but he often gives us more than we need because he wants to bless other people. He wants to meet the needs of other people through us. So he gives to us so he can give through us. And when we're generous with what he's provided for us, we are actually storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And have you ever wondered what those treasures in heaven are? Well, I don't fully know what they are, but I know one main thing that they are, and that is people. Can you possibly think of a greater treasure or blessing than to arrive at heaven and have people shout, hey, look who's here. Not out of shock, you know, like you're surprised you made it, you know. Whoa, he actually made it. Where to go, you know. No, not out of shock, but out of joy and gratitude for the difference you made in their life. People are going to come up to you and say, thank you for giving to the Lord. God used your faithfulness. He used your example to change my life. You're one of the reasons I'm here in heaven. Can you possibly think of a greater treasure in heaven than that? Talk about a reason to invest heavily, heavily in heavenly treasures. Jesus is saying, trust me in this. One day you're going to be so glad you did. In short, Jesus' investment strategy has two obvious benefits. First of all, by living more simply, we will have a way to get out of debt and to stay out of debt. We will live within our means, and that will not only simplify our lives, but it will set us free from a lot of unnecessary worry and anxiety that Jesus goes on to talk about in this passage. But secondly, when we choose to live more simply, we will have more time and money to help people with spiritual, physical, and material needs, locally and globally, and to support our church and other ministries that are committed to doing the same. And in doing so, Jesus says, we will be storing up treasures in heaven. In other words, God will use our faithfulness and our generosity to impact lives for eternity. And so in the time remaining, I, I want to get real practical now. And I, I want to talk about steps that we can take to live more simply. And to begin with, we need to decide 
what is most important to us. For you to live is what? There's that question again. For you to live is what? Is it to be successful in your career? Is it your family? Is it to live the good life? Is it to be admired by others? Is it to be in relationship with a certain person? Is it sex and to party? Or is it to know Christ and to live for him? What is your one great passion that you're prepared to give your life to? Everything in your life will be impacted by whatever it is that is most important to you. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, your lifestyle choices, your relationships, your values, your priorities, everything. If for you to live is Christ, then if you're serious about that, then your life is going to look significantly different than if for you to live is your career or, your, or a certain relationship or money or a party. Now, if you're not sure what's most important to you, I'd like to recommend that you go away for a weekend by yourself or perhaps the person you're married to or even just for a day and write down what's going to matter to you most and what's going to matter to God the most in the end. Think ahead to the day that you stand before Jesus. Write down what's going to matter most to you in that moment. Think about your family, your spouse, your children, your friends standing before Jesus. Write down what will matter most to them in that moment. And consequently, what should matter most to you now in your relationship with them and in your influence in their lives? Think about your character, your values, your priorities, your lifestyle, your money and possessions, the level of your generosity. Write down what's going to matter most to you about these things that moment you stand before Jesus. Think about your career, how you're investing in your marriage, the lives of your children. Think about how you're using your time outside of work. Write down what's going to matter most to you about these areas the moment you stand before Jesus. Think about the day of your funeral and the things people say about you. Write down what you want to hear your spouse, your children, your close friends say about you. Write down what you would want to hear them and others say about your character, about the kind of person that you were, about your love for God, your love for other people, and how you demonstrated that and lived that. You do that, you write it out like that, and you'll soon have a lot of clarity about what's most important to you. 
As many of you know, I was 22 years of age, just newly married when I was diagnosed with a serious, life-threatening form of cancer. That diagnosis, as you can well imagine, was life-changing. And in a very short period of time after surgery, I found myself thinking about the very questions that I just went through with you. With the diagnosis I had received, it wasn't difficult for me imagining standing before Jesus. It wasn't difficult for me to imagine the day of my funeral. It was very real. And in that moment, I, it became crystal clear to me what mattered most to me. And I wrote the very first draft of what I now refer to as my life credo statement. It's a four-page document of what's going to matter to me most in the end. I've made some minor changes, and I've added to that document over the years. When our boys were born, when our daughter-in-laws, our grandchildren came into our lives, but whenever I find myself facing deep discouragement or I find myself struggling with envy or discontentment or a prideful, self-serving spirit, whenever I find myself being too enamored with temporary lesser things of this life, I pull out my life credo and I remind myself what's most important to me. What's going to matter most to me when I stand before Jesus? I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs from it so you get an idea of what I'm talking about and why I encourage you to do the same. For me to live is Christ. With God's help, I intend to always remind myself that my greatest priority in life and in my ministry is not to leave a legacy but rather to love Jesus and let him live his life through me. I'm here to follow Jesus and not to leave a following. Practically, this means having the courage to say and do what's right rather than what's popular. It means speaking boldly, taking risks, stepping out on a limb when I believe God's asking me to no matter what the cost. It means focusing not on how successful I am, in the eyes of others, but on how faithful I am in the eyes of God. It means when I am criticized, I will seek the kernel of truth in that criticism and be humble enough to accept it and grow through it. On the other hand, if the criticism is unwarranted or it's intended to be hurtful rather than helpful, I will not lose heart, but will keep on keeping on because my goal is not to be popular and accepted by people but to fulfill the calling that I've been given by my Lord. For me to live is Christ. And so with God's help, I intend to start every day with Jesus, inviting him to cleanse me anew and fill me with his spirit anew, to teach me and speak to me through his word and to do my day with me. As I go about my day, I intend to be consciously aware that He is with me 
and to share with him my fears and my feelings of inadequacy, asking him for his wisdom and power and direction and to live his life through me. My greatest desire is for my ears to be alert to his voice, for my heart to be sensitive to where he is working and to follow where he leads. My credo goes on to talk about priorities around my marriage, around my family, priorities around taking care of my body, my calling as senior pastor of this church, my passion to introduce people to Jesus and to help them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus and to invest in the lives of those who are committed to the same. So that's the first step, folks. It's the most important step, the most crucial step. Living simply begins by you deciding what is most important to you. Now from this point on, I'm going to assume that you've decided and that you've decided that knowing Jesus and living for Jesus is what's most important to you. So what does that look like in terms of the time that God has given to us, in terms of the resources God has given to us, in terms of the relationships that we're involved in, how does that begin to play itself out in those arenas? If for you to live is Christ, a second step, a high priority in your life is to daily learn from Jesus. This is where you get clarity about these matters I just talked about. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. As we've seen often in this series, Jesus invites us to come to him, to trust him, to submit to his leadership, and to learn from him. He promises that if we do, we will find rest for our souls. We will discover a life of contentment and simplicity. And toward that end, he will speak to us, he will teach us, he will guide us, he will show what it means for him to be at the center of everything, the center of our work, the center of our family time, the center of our ministry to our neighbors and ministry at church, the center of our recreation, the center of everything. He will show us that if we ask him. He will show us what it means to live simply. He will show us what it means to be content in all circumstances. And he will do that through the scriptures as we spend time in his word. He will show us that through his gentle whispers at times, through a conversation that we have, or a sermon that we've heard, or a book that we've read, or the example of a person that we know. But that's going to require us to have our ears attuned to him. And to stop several times a day, at least one day a week and a number of days annually to, to hear from him, to just be with him, to receive direction and guidance and wisdom from him. Thirdly, evaluate your relationships in light of what is most important to you. 
Even though Jesus sought to be available and to minister to anyone who came across his path, he intentionally invited a small group of men into his life for companionship, but also to accomplish the mission that God had called him to. And he didn't apologize for that. And his example is instructive to us. Even though we always want to be open to those that the Lord brings across our path and serve them in any way we can if need be, there are limits to how many people that we can help. There are limits to how many people we can be in relationship with. If for us to live as Christ, therefore, then one day and one way to simplify our relationships is to intentionally make the decision to journey with those people who are committed to the same mission that we are and to be less available to those who have just decided to pursue other things, at least for this season in their life. And you see, when you do that, when you are clear about where you're going, God can simplify your life by simplifying your relationships this way. By running with those people who want to run the direction that you're running in or walking in. Fourthly, evaluate how you are investing your time in light of what is most important. Outside of work, what are you doing that is moving you toward what is most important to you? And what are you doing that's moving you away from that? If hearing from God is important to you, then where have you blocked out time on your daily calendar to stop, to read the scriptures and just to wait on the Lord? If serving the Lord in his church or wherever it is, if that's important to you and yet you never do because you're spending hours outside of work watching television or going to movies or surfing on the internet, then either acknowledge that these things are more important to you or replace them with what you say is most important to you. If you say that your children's spiritual growth is most important to you, And yet most of your children's after-school schedule is full of sports and lessons and other such activities, leaving you little or no time to invest meaningfully into their lives spiritually and to show them daily through your example as parents and as a family what a Christ-centered family life and home looks like, then you have some tough decisions to make. If you have no problem investing hundreds of dollars in your children's in order for them to participate in sports or lessons or other activities, but you get irate paying for them to attend a youth retreat or some other opportunity for them to grow in their walk with Christ. If you will bend over backwards to avoid them missing a game, but have no problem skipping church and children's ministry on weekend 
If you will volunteer, if you will do fundraising and even coach your children's teams, but won't volunteer in your, children's, your child's class at church and learn how to coach and how to teach them spiritually in an age-appropriate way in that context, if that's true of you, then just acknowledge that you care more about lessons and sports and other things than the spiritual growth of your children. Folks, this isn't rocket science. If your life is crazy busy and you are frustrated because you have no time to do what you say is most important to you, then sit down and look at what you're doing and determine what you need to change. Now, please understand, I'm not saying making these decisions is easy. No, they're, they're, I'm not saying that sports or lessons are bad. No, there's nothing wrong with these activities in themselves. The issue is unless we want our life to continue to be chaos, we have to make the hard decision to say no to the good things so that we can give our lives to the best things or at least the things we say are most important to us. You see, instead of saying this one thing I do or these few things we do, too many of us are following the crowd of our world. We're following even other Christians and we try to do it all. We try to provide not just one opportunity, but every opportunity possible for our kids to excel because after all, they might make the NHL. And so we get them involved in every possible opportunity and then we also somehow try to squeeze in opportunities for their spiritual growth. And what we end up with is a whirlwind of activity exhausted, worn-out kids and worn-out parents who have no time, no energy left for what we say is going to matter most to us when we stand before Jesus. Randy Frazee in his book, Real Simplicity, he says, many parents have this mindset that the way to keep your kids out of trouble is to keep them busy with organized activities that parents control. Activities that have families often racing around several nights a week, costing them thousands of dollars. And he says to parents, have you ever wondered if this is what your children actually want? He says he believes that children prefer more unstructured times, more hanging out time to play on their own more time with their family at the dinner table, talking and reminiscing about their day, rather than sitting on bleachers in a gym or a ball field or a hockey rink. Michigan State University did a study that showed that parents, um, that when parents get their kids involved in organized sports as young as four and five, and then keep them crazy busy like that, 70% of the kids will quit playing sports by the age of 13.
And the reason for this, they found out, is it's not funny anymore. They're burnt out. I, I talked to uh, a young man uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, who um, uh, he was set. You know, he had, the, he had the abilities to be in the NHL. Was drafted to one of the Western Hockey uh, League uh, teams. And he didn't want to go. Tears in his eyes said, I am so sick of this sport. He was burnt out. And, and what this study shows is that about the time that, you know, our children's bodies are physically ready to play organized sports, you know, around 12 and 13, and they're able to play athletically and their minds are able to get into the game, most of them are quitting. And Frazee says one of the best things families can do to bond as a family and to grow their children spiritually but also socially and in their manners and, and mentally. And he says one of the best ways is to make family supper time meal a regular part of family life. A time where family, along with friends and neighbors who sometimes are invited to join in, will just eat their meal slowly and, and share details of their day and talk about the highs and the lows of their day and, and laugh together and tell stories and chew their food slowly because they so enjoy this time. Gary Smalley um, quotes a research piece that pointed out that families that are really close have two things in common. One is they share a meal every day together. And the second thing is, is they vacation together, even if it's just one week a year. Also found out that children who are part of um, a family that eats together regularly, that these children will miss almost anything in order to not miss their time with their family around the table. They look forward to it. So much more could be shared here. But my point is simply this. Determine what is most important to you. And then put into your calendar those things that move you in that direction. Finally, evaluate your stuff and your financial decisions in light of what's most important to you. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's saying here, if you want to know where your heart's really at, if you want to know what's most important to you, then just look at where your money's going to outside of your basic expenses. If for us to live is Christ, then our hearts will be broken by the things that break the heart of Christ. And we'll want to live simply so we have more time to invest in our families and in our friendships and, we'll, and, and more resources, we'll have more resources available to help people grow spiritually, physically, and materially to support uh, those ministries that, that are committed to the same thing. A lot of people look at their financial problems and they say to themselves, I need to make more money. I, I need a second job or my spouse is going to have to go to work. 
Now, I realize that there are exceptions. But for most of us, the problem isn't that we need to make more money. The problem is we need to spend less. We need to live more simply. Now, if you're married and you have a family, and both of you are working, you need to evaluate why you're doing that. Why are you running crazy busy from early morning to late at night? Why are both of you trying to juggle two careers and raise a family? Now, I realize it's expensive living in this city. I know that there are families in this city, there are families in this church who can't make ends meet because even though they are living as simply as they possibly can, the breadwinner in the home just isn't making enough money. The salary's too low. And the family can't make it on the one salary in this very expensive city without both husband and wife working. And we understand that. But here's my question. Are both you and your spouse working for that reason? Is that really the issue? Or because you want to live a certain lifestyle? I'm just asking. If that is the case, I need to ask another question. Is having an expensive home, the cars, the toys, more important than one of you being home with your children to raising them up in the way of the Lord? You need to ask yourself, are both of our careers more important than one of us having quality time, spiritual input into the lives of the children that God gave to us? I talked to a parent just this past week who said, I would rather move into the smallest apartment or townhouse, live on the barest of essentials in order for one of us to be at home with our children than to have the best of things, the greatest careers, and both of us miss these incredibly special, important years in the life of our children. I know it's not very popular anymore to talk about this. I'm not making any friends today. But as your senior pastor, I, got, I just have to tell you, I care about you, our church. I care about the young families in this church. And I'm asking these questions. because I want you or at least want to give you the opportunity to, to deal with this issue now when you can still make a decision to perhaps make some changes than for you to regret the way you're living your life right now years from now. I'm just asking if your life is crazy busy, if it's anxiety filled, if your day's racing from one thing to another trying to coordinate schedules, you know, who's going to pick up the kids after school? How, how are they going to get to their lessons? And when are we going to eat between work and the hockey game? If there are times that you look at your children and it hits you that the daycare worker knows your child better than you do. And every time that you're with your children, you're not all there. You're racing from one thing to another. I'm just asking, 
maybe you need to stop and you need to ask yourself, why am I living this way? Is this really what I want? I'm just asking. So let me wrap up with some guidelines for living more simply that I picked up from a number of different writers as well as uh, from a number of you who wrote some things about how you're trying to live more simply. First of all, evaluate your own lifestyle and not that of someone else. We must refrain from judging the lifestyle decisions and motives of others. We don't know the circumstances that may cause people to live the way that they do or to make the decisions that they do. It's just simply not our business to judge the lifestyle decisions of other people. When it comes to specific lifestyle choices, the Bible doesn't give out a list. It doesn't give out a formula. Jesus himself refused to give out formulas even though the religious leaders of the day were constantly on his back over things like this. He had little tolerance for the religious leaders of his day who always were trying to create legalistic standards and then hold people to them. Things are not always as they seem. What we assume is a needless expenditure may have been a gift from a family member. It may have been a gift from an estate. We all need to ask the Lord for genuine humility and be careful to avoid legalism and a spirit of self-righteousness. Nothing will destroy a friendship. Nothing will destroy a community group. Nothing will destroy a church quicker than legalism and self-righteousness. And so let's just not go there. This is about you and Jesus. This is about you going to him and doing what he calls you to do and not being concerned about others around you and the decisions they're making in this area. Secondly, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Stop trying to impress people with your wardrobe and your stuff and rather let them see the beauty of your life and your character. Consider buying used before buying new. Some people will refuse to spend $50 on a perfectly good used mattress. And they'll say, well, you know, you never know who slept on it. And yet, we'll think nothing of spending $150 to sleep on a used mattress in a fancy hotel. You see, our logic just doesn't add up sometimes. Number three, realize that nothing is a good deal if you can't afford it. $80 sounds like a great deal on an item that normally costs $250 new. But if you can't afford it, it simply doesn't matter. It's not worth going into debt over, regardless of how good a deal it is. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Share things. Enjoy the beach without feeling you have to buy a piece of it. Enjoy the simple things of life that don't cost a lot of money. 
play charades with your family rather than forking out $500 to go to some event. Be cautious about the buy now, pay later schemes. You know, $50 a month doesn't seem like much. But little amounts like that have a way of adding up. Have you ever noticed that, and I, like I said, I hate shopping, so I'm rarely there, but when I, when I do, I sometimes look at products and rarely do you, does it say, you know, this product is worth $2,000. No, no, it's $25 a month. And so you think, well, $25 a month, that's nothing. I can handle that. But then you add $50 a month to it, $75 a month to it, $150 a month, $250 a month. I was talking to a guy just recently who fell into this trap and he said, I am just so sick of most of my paychecks being eaten up by the debts that we owe. Fifthly, learn to say yes to real needs and no to created needs. Be careful about needing to upgrade all the time. Talked about this last time. Most of us upgrade our computers, our cell phones, assortment of other gadgets. We upgrade our, our cars. We get a raise. We upgrade our homes. I mean, it just keeps going. Not because we necessarily need it. Just because we want it. Sixthly, wait and pray before you make a purchase. Allowing God to show you whether this is a real need or whether this is a created need. Now, I love the story of the fellow who got caught in a major snowstorm, and as a result, it, he had to stay uh, with the Amish for a few days. And after showing him to his room, the host turned to the visitor and said, if there is anything that you need, just let us know, and we will show you how you can get along without it. We need to help each other to know how we can get along without certain things. Waiting and praying for God to provide also gives God the opportunity to provide our need in a way that we may not have expected. I, I could tell you countless stories of how that has happened to us as a family. But I want to just refer to a family of our church who has done that. They shared how they just, they have a number of really cool stories of how God provided what they needed through other people who had no idea that they needed what they were offering to them. They just came up to them one day and said, you know, hey, we're kind of getting rid of this. Could you use it? And here this family had been praying, you know, for, you know, sometimes they said for a lot longer than they'd hoped. <laughs> but they wanted to trust God to provide for it, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, someone provided for it. And then consider purging your stuff. Go through your house, your rooms, your storage areas, your wardrobe, and either sell it, or um, give it away to someone, or uh, just junk the stuff that you haven't used for a year or two. The reality is your life will be a lot simpler, a lot less stressful, when you declutter. I mean, the less you have, think about it, the less you have to clean it, the less you have to repair it, and the less you have to reorganize it in yet another closet. And when it comes to buying things, consider the one-for-one -one rule. 
And that is for every new purchase you make for something that you need, commit to donating or recycling an item that you no longer need. Just get in the habit of giving things away more. And in doing so, not only discover the joy of releasing yourself from, from the burden of ownership, but also in blessing those um, that you, know, you give things to. One person in our church wrote, last summer, I started selling my stuff that I didn't need or use anymore. Anything that wouldn't sell, I donated. In all honesty, I planned to spend the money on myself. And in prayer, I said, God, whatever sells, I will give 10% of it back to you. I clearly felt God say, why not give it all to me? What are you lacking that you need the other 90% for? So I committed to give it all to the Lord. And once I made that commitment, everything started selling very quickly. <laughs> Simplifying my life in this way got addictive, and I can honestly say I don't miss any of it. Folks, the heart of living simply is finding your satisfaction in God and in God alone. You know, I'm reminded of a story of a family of our church. Many of you heard the story uh, over video within the last year or two. Um, family that um, was deep into debt. And one of the reasons for that, the main reason for that was that they had bought a house that was just beyond their ability to pay for. And they decided to sell that home to get rid of their debt. And they went into a much uh, smaller uh, living facility and uh, were freed. And, and there was just joy in their, in their faces having made that decision to be free financially. I'll never forget what the father said at the end of the video. He said, you know, at the end of the day, your house doesn't give you a hug. It's the people you love who do. And that pretty much puts it all in perspective. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. He says, money can buy you a nice house, but not a home. A fancy bed, but no peaceful sleep. Companions, but not genuine friends. Sex, but not love. Pills, but not health. Fun, but not fulfillment. He says, money can buy us everything but true satisfaction and take us everywhere but heaven. I remind us again, the only thing that we can invest in that's going to matter for eternity, the only thing we can take with us from this planet through the saving grace of Jesus Christ is people. Moments after we die, we'll know exactly how we should have lived. We'll know exactly why we were crazy busy, why we were exhausted, why we were overwhelmed, and how we should have lived our lives and invested our time and the resources God's given to us we will see with the clarity of eternity. 
may what will be most important to us then be most important to us now. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? I'm just going to invite you again to open your hands to the Lord and to ask Him these two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? Not to my neighbor, my family member, or anybody else, but what are you saying to me? And what is it, Lord, that you want me to do about what I hear you saying to me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for your word and its clear direction and instruction concerning how we might live more simply, how we might be financially free. Thank you for freeing us up spiritually, Lord, for making us free indeed through the sacrificial death of Christ. Father, thank you also for showing us how to be free financially, not free from you, or our need of you, but free from the bondage of death. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to, to walk away from the glitter of stuff and to say, my soul is already satisfied in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will help us to all be a people who will put you first in everything, who will seek first the kingdom of God and trust you that you will add all these other things in your way and your time and that our lives would glorify you in our living, our giving, our serving for your glory and for the sake of all those who need the Jesus that we know and love. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.